AmericanCSports.com. Again, it's now Friday, February 20th. This is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined uh, by my buddies Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. And boy, do I have some good news for you guys. Turns okay. out, you ready for this? Yeah. No, I'm not ready. No. Okay. You ready now? Ready. Chris Jones is not going to have to go to Belgium right now. Oh, my gosh. He's going to get to stay in Louisville. Play, I'm so worried. Play at the Yum Center uh, uh, again. And uh, he will be back in uniform uh, uh, this weekend for the nationally ranked Cardinals, who are coming off a loss at Syracuse, in which Chris Jones did not play, uh, serving a, what amounted to a one-game suspension. Afterward, Rick Pitino <laughs> went in on him in a way that few coaches do. Said it, um, we missed him, but the reason we missed him is is it's because of his own selfishness. And uh, frankly, I don't care if he ever comes back and plays again. Um, he could either do things the right way or go to Belgium. And my initial thoughts were, Belgium's like a nice place. It's a perfectly reasonable Western European country. Although, uh, it's Dr. not where... Evil loves it. It, it. Who does? I'm sorry. Dr. Evil loves it. Of course, right. So it's no, uh, it, it's a perfectly reasonable place. Not probably the place, though, in fairness, that uh, Chris Jones should, sp- should spend February and March and April of his senior year of... Uh, college. So, Matt, I'll start with you. What do you make of uh, the Chris Jones saga that that goes from uh, suspended indefinitely to maybe is on his way to Belgium to about 15 hours later reinstated to the team, going to play this weekend? Yeah, and Louisville has Miami on Saturday, a game they don't need to win, but if they want to keep their seed respectable, then they uh, they better go out and win that because Louisville's lost three of four, uh, and and they need Jones. In fact, Palm. On our daily, uh, well, he doesn't do it daily. He's going to start doing it daily with his um, his bracket updates. He has Louisville now dropped to a four seed. This is a team that was flirting with a two just a couple of weeks ago. As for Jones, they need him. Uh, Patino, he makes for good copy and for good quotes in the moment, but he is notorious for waffling, for going <laughs> back on his word. I don't want to necessarily say lying because I get the sense sometimes with Patino he gets caught up in the moment and he believes what he says but there have been plenty of instances where guys have been suspended and when the announcements are made by Patino usually at a press conference you might think that this player is never going to play again uh, only to return a short time thereafter you know Shane Bahannon who's now long gone from the program but there was a time where he was once suspended and it was I think the beginning of last season and in a weird way, Patino was right because when that happened, uh, it, you know, it made it seem as though Shane Bahannon would never uh, come back again. He did, and then he eventually never came back again when he was kicked off the team for good. So, listen, they need him. Um, in my opinion, Rozier and Jones, they're a solid backcourt. They haven't been as a combo as good as I expected them to be, and I think that more than anything is why Louisville is a top 15-ish team rather than a top five-ish team, but um, a big stretch here. They get three of their final five at home. Their two road games are definitely winnable at Georgia Tech, at Florida State. Uh, their two home games of those of those five are definitely losable because they get Notre Dame and Virginia. But uh, at the end of the day, I think Chris Jones will probably remain in line. They'll need him if they want any hopes of reaching a second weekend. I, I'm actually pulling for him because uh, he, he's, you know, he's from Memphis. I've known him since he was a teenager. And he just, uh, maybe because I'm a little more familiar with his story, he just comes from a rough background. And he's a rough kid. I, I think once upon a time there was a stereotype of, quote, Memphis kids. And it fit. I mean, we're talking about Sean Williams and 
you know, Andre Allen and Antonio Burks, like, you know, kids who grew up in rough situations over the past few years, like, quote, Memphis kids have been, you know, Elliot Williams and Leslie McDonald and uh, Austin Nichols and Scalabissier. I mean, like private school kids. So it sort of switched a little bit. Like a lot of the, the top prospects in Memphis are, are actually coming out of the private schools. It, it's intentional, and we could get into that another day, how it all happens. But they're actually, rather than coming from Booker T. Washington High or Melrose High, the, a lot of them are coming from, uh, you know, the private school sector. Still, Chris Jones came from Melrose High. Like he... You know, he's always teetered on the edge and, you know, committed to Tennessee out of high school when Bruce Pearl was there. Had to go to junior college because his academics were just a complete mess. Played two years for Steve Forbes, who was on uh, Bruce's staff at UT and was a JUCO player of the year and and then signed with Louisville, even though Memphis wanted him. And like part of him going to Louisville, besides just it's Louisville and it's Rick Pitino, was that he he and Joe Jackson hated each other like hated each other. He always felt like Joe got all the attention, but he was the better player. And on some level, I don't even know if Chris would admit this, but on some level he wanted to, okay, what was Memphis's rival for all these years? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to go there and I'm going to ball out on Memphis and, and make them pay for this. And so it was all these types of things. And um, But he's always been, I guess the nicest way to put it, really, really rough around the edges. And so... Um, I, I never doubted that he would have problems uh, playing for Rick Pitino. Rick and I actually uh, had talked about this before he even enrolled. But I, I hated seeing it and the idea that maybe, you know, if you just took Rick at his word, and I'm with you, Norlander, I don't think he's lying as much as he gets caught up in the emotion of the moment. Um, it sounded like maybe Chris Jones wouldn't be back. So I, I'm glad he's coming back, and I hope he walks the, the line um, over the next few weeks just so you can – you know, I don't want his story to be, uh, I guess, headlined with missed some of his senior year as Louisville fell apart. I'd like for it to be a, a better story, whether this time next year he's playing in Belgium or the D-League or wherever. Sam, how much does he mean uh, to, to Louisville on the court? Can we? Uh, are there troubles rooted in him, or are they more complex than that? Oh, they're more complex than that. I mean, the, the the thing is with Louisville, they're not getting any scoring from anyone outside of Terry Rozier, Montrezl Harrell, or Chris Jones. No one else on that team can create offense. And, you know, one of the guys that could, in theory, is Shaquan Aaron. And then Patino threw Aaron under the bus on, what was that, Tuesday night? Even more so than he did... Uh, Jones from everyone who was at that press conference. Everyone said that, you know, the Jones thing, it seemed like he was just like heat of the moment, like you said, and he'd probably be back pretty soon. But Shaquan Aaron, they said that Patino got visibly angry whenever he was talking <laughs> about Shaquan Aaron. Um, so that that's a problem. The fact that they have zero secondary scoring because Aaron Wayne Blackshear has been pretty bad. Like Blackshear, I think had zero points, zero rebounds and zero assists in something yeah. like and fouled out. Yeah. And fouled out um, with like five minutes left to play in something like 19 minutes. And no one had done that in ACC play for a long time. Um, so the, the biggest thing is here, they need to find some semblance of secondary scoring. I think that's why I'm more in on them as like a top 20 team than a top 10 team. Sure. And, it's not that like I don't like Louisville. I really like Rick Pitino. I really like 
this defense that he has put together because both Rozier and Jones are terrific, terrific defenders. Montrezl Harrell's tough in the post. They have some pretty good length, Mathiang, and then whoever they put on the wing next to those guys is probably going to be okay. It's just they really can't score against any sort of defense that can focus in on Terry Rozier and Montrezl Harrell. If you can get those two guys to at least slow down, then this team just can't do anything. And that, that's why I think their ceiling's pretty limited, and that might come back and bite me if they eventually figure it out and everything comes together. But right now, it seems like their ceiling's pretty limited to like a Sweet 16 run, maybe. All right, we're going to have uh, this deal where we sort of talk through a column that I'm trying to finish up and oh, fun. Uh, see if you guys can poke uh, flaws in it. Where are you uh, just uh, fundamentally about Gonzaga winning while recognizing it's a fluid process and there's a lot of factors. Gonzaga wins out, deserves a one seed, even though they'll obviously not have the type of wins that several other power conference schools have. Uh, Norlander, where are you at on Gonzaga? Um, I am pretty much regardless of what happens around them. If they do not lose again this year, I am on board with Gonzaga getting a one seed with one loss um, because you, I understand the schedule stuff. They're not their non-conference isn't brutal by any means. Okay, it's not the best. I understand that, but it was okay. And uh, know, just so, for for non-conference purposes, let's run through it real quick. They got to win over SMU. That's a SMU team that's leading the American and, and d- different roster when Gonzaga beat them as opposed to now. In other words, Marcus Kennedy didn't play. But right. it's the SMU team that has a win over a Temple team that beat Kansas. Okay, They beat St. John's. That's the St. John's team that's got to win over a Providence team that beat Georgetown, Butler, Notre Dame. Got to win over Xavier. You know, St. John's has got to win over a Xavier team that beat uh, Georgetown, Providence, and Murray State. Uh, got a, St. John's got a win over Syracuse, which beat, of course, Louisville. Um, now we're back to Gonzaga beating Georgia. So yep. Gonzaga has a win over the Georgia team. That Palm beat, has in the Palm has in the field as of Friday morning. Right. Yeah, that's the Georgia team that's beaten the Ole Miss team. That's beaten Arkansas and uh, and Oregon and taking Kentucky to overtime. Uh, Gonzaga beat the Georgia team. That's beaten the Seton Hall team. That beat Villanova. Georgia. Uh, I mean, uh, Gonzaga's beaten the Georgia team. That beat the Tennessee team. That beat Butler. And then they there were I believe I need to double check this. I think Gonzaga's the only visitor to win at Pauley this year. That's right. Okay, right? So, um, like, they've done all they could do. You know, I mean, unless you're going to hold a overtime loss at Arizona. Like, Arizona's not going to lose at home this year. Game they should have won. I mean, I, well, I, I get some pushback from Arizona fans on that. Like, uh, you, know, uh, do, you know, are we going to qualify every last second? Win or but like, when you're talking about a team that's only lost one game and the one game right. they lost, lost came like that, yes, knock, knock them as a loss. That's fine. It, but really, let's let's apply some context and remember how that game played out on the road. Arizona's a team that's not going to get a one unless it runs the table, but still in the conversation for it and probably going to be a two-seed. And Gonzaga on the road lost by three in overtime in a game it probably should have won in regulation. And you can't fault like the same reason we applied Wichita State last year and just running the table is such a huge accomplishment in itself and with who Wichita played. You can't fault them for their league. I don't fault Gonzaga for its league, which, you know, by the way, the West Coast Conference is not the MEAC. I mean, it's it's not the Southland. Okay, let's let's give it a little bit more credit than that. So, not a bad league. Not it's a not bad a bad league. league. And, and they're it's, running it's, through it's it. It's seventh or eighth in Ken Palm. It's one of those. So, 
Yeah, the league right now, according to Ken Palm, is stronger than the Atlantic 10, American, Missouri Valley, and Mountain West. They're there you go. Through. And it's and it's similar, and although I'm not huge on RPI, it's similar rankings there as well. So if they run the table, and I do think they're going to. I mean, sure. I, I put up a post uh, last week of just the undefeated teams in league play. Gonzaga was one of the six, and I said that they're going to run it. they got two or three remaining at home. They do have at St. Mary's on Saturday. It's definitely an intriguing game. You'd sure. think that's the one game they're the most likely to lose. I don't think they will, so I think they're going to have one loss. They should unequivocally get a one seed, and I think that they will get a one seed uh, in the West. And I'm going to have a delayed mea culpa here because GP kind of called me out on it when it happened. I said the Arizona Gonzaga loser would probably kill its chances of getting a one seed because I thought they'd both be vying for that one in the West. But at the time, I didn't think Gonzaga was going to have a season where it would be thirty-three and one. That's going to be the case, and they should be uh, the top of their bracket. I th- yeah, all of those things are great things that I've I've already pointed out in the column, and and uh, that I'll clarify even more so. To me, this is another one because I always try to think well, what will be the okay if somebody's going to argue against it what's the argument, and then try to figure out a way to counter that. And so the argument, because I've already seen it on Twitter, is Gonzaga only has four top 50 wins, and they're probably at this point, given that BYU and St. Mary's are both outside of the top 50 of the RPI. And and I listen, I'm, I have all the issues with the RPI that, that you have, Norlander, but like it is a tool the tournament committee uses. So it, right. it, it you know, like I'm against the... Um, uh, electoral college too. I think it's stupid, but like we use it, so it's 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 important. And You're exactly for the for the sake of forecast and predictions, you got to go off the system. I right, guess. right. You got to go off yeah. the system. So here we are with the RPI. So they only have four top fifties, and people say because that mock selection thing they did in Indianapolis a couple weeks ago, they gave Wisconsin the fourth number one seed over Gonzaga, and one of the arguments was. Wisconsin has more quality wins, which is true. It's also rooted in the Big Ten. It's rooted in league affiliation, but it is true. So here's my thing. If you're going to tell me that Gonzaga doesn't deserve a one over Wisconsin because Wisconsin has two more top 50 wins at this moment than Gonzaga, then where do we draw the line on that? Does Okay, Villanova has nine top 50 wins. So why is it that Wisconsin can deserve a one over a Villanova team that's got three more top 50 wins than it has, but Gonzaga can't get a number one over a Wisconsin team that only has two more top 50 wins than Gonzaga? In other words, where are we drawing the line? Are we just moving it to, to shape our argument? And beyond that, here would be my other question. Let's take Arizona and give them Gonzaga's schedule. Would anybody be arguing against Arizona? As, as a one seed, if the lone loss was at the kennel in overtime and they had run through everybody else? Yeah. No, because we'd say, well, that Arizona team's got, you know, a, a couple lottery picks and it's Sean Miller and it's Arizona across its chest. And, and, and in some sort of, you know, way, I think we'd also be going off recency bias. This is an Arizona team that was a one seed last year, which has no impact on their seeding this year. But generally speaking, when you're talking about collective discussion, I think that creeps in as well. Well, of course. And that, that's another point I'm making, like, because you'll hear this. Well, again, Gonzaga never goes anywhere. They were a one seed a few years ago, got bounced in the round of 32. All right. Well, like, if we're, first off, can't hold that against them. Like, you're really not supposed to hold that against them. Uh, secondly, are we going to do the same thing to, um, I, I, I don't know, Virginia? Like, Virginia got bounced last year early, earlier sure. than it should have. So we're yeah. gonna we're gonna we're gonna like say well you know if you look back at recent history with Virginia no we're gonna give them if they if they close the way it looks like Virginia's gonna close we're gonna give them a one C we're not gonna worry mm-hmm. about it so I do think sometimes this whole um, 
league affiliation bias comes in, and I just think it's it's wrong. If you schedule aggressively, to put it as simply as I could put it, if you schedule aggressively and you overwhelmingly succeed against that schedule, to the extent that Gonzaga is succeeding against that schedule, and you pass the eye test and all the computer test. In other words, like Murray State right now is on a roll. They're also like top 90 at Ken Palm, right? So like, right. like Gonzaga is like top mm-hmm. six. You know, it's like they pass the computer test, they pass the eye test, they pass the common sense talent test, and they're killing everybody in their league. And they were awesome in the non-league portion of their schedule. If that somehow doesn't deserve a one, I, I can't. Then you're just holding it against them that they they happen to play in the West Coast uh, in the West Coast Conference. And so, like, what if 1990 UNLV played in the West Coast Conference? Played in that in played in that um, played this schedule. Would you hold them against them, or would you say that's Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, Anderson Hunt? What are you talking about? So I, I don't know. I just I find the whole thing like everybody else has plenty of opportunities to prove themselves. Gonzaga is limited by their place in the sport. But if they finish with one loss and that lone loss is at Arizona in overtime, they deserve a one seed. Sam, you got any issue with this? No, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I, you That's why we it. hired they you. Have a, yeah, like I don't, there's nothing else to say. You just ended it. Hey, but it was, well, I, I will, note, I will also got... note that Gonzaga has a top 50 non-conference yeah. strength of schedule. So, like you said, I mean, you alluded to the fact that they were, you know, they scheduled aggressively. Some of those teams like Memphis didn't right. really pan out, but it, it still ended up being a really, really strong non-conference schedule. BYU is going to be a quality win twice, assuming that they win this game at the end of the year. St. Mary's is going to be a quality win twice, assuming that they win this game in Moraga on Saturday, which is going to be difficult. Um, yeah, you know, Gonzaga is a top seed, but I will note that I do think Villanova is getting lost in this. Discussion. I do too. You start looking at Villanova's resume. If you, yeah, yes. I did a radio spot yesterday and started like going through it in my brain like during the radio spot and then i was like you know if you look at villanova versus wisconsin villanova probably has a better resume the one thing that i think and norlander touched on this a few weeks ago like everybody has just like completely dismissed the rutgers loss by wisconsin because yeah because frank didn't play here's the thing and and i'm willing to dis if frank plays they win the game i'm not debating that but it's still a bad loss because they were supposed to win it by 15 even without him Mm-hmm. They, they were a 15-point favorite after, like, Frank's well, pull. L- listen, yeah, I mean, l- here's the thing. I think Wisconsin is, I mean, there's no debating it. They're so far ahead of everyone else in the Big Ten. It's actually kind of ridiculous. They're going to win the league at least by four games, and it might be by five. Uh, but Wisconsin is going to take a loss here. And I think when they do, it's going to make it a little bit easier. I mean, they've got three roadies left at Maryland. At Minnesota, at Ohio State, I got to think they're going to drop one of those, okay? Then it mm. makes it even more interesting. And then they can win the Big Ten tournament. I don't know. I, I think if they lose two, we won't even have to worry about them. If they lose one, I think they're going to have a very tough time even making the claim for it uh, when you've got Gonzaga and Villanova involved here. But, yeah, there's still plenty left to be played. Uh, but, yeah, the Wisconsin thing is one of those tricky ones with Rutgers because you have to count it against them, even if you want to put it, with an asterisk, they still lost. I mean, Wisconsin on a neutral or even on the road without Kaminsky and, and Trayvon Jackson got hurt in that game, they're still a favored team overall. I mean, Rutgers is just brutal this year. So they still they still should and do get docked for that. I think so. Uh, back to Villanova, nine top 50 wins. So they've, uh, they've, they're have they 24-2 and two overall. Um, 
nine of those wins are top 50 wins. They got wins over VCU, Georgetown, Providence, Butler twice, Temple, Xavier, St. John's, and Illinois. No losses outside of the top 75. Like, nobody talks about Villanova as a possible one. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty impressive resume. Like, it, yeah. it, you know, if, if you know, and Kansas is just, they've already taken, you know, they just lost at West Virginia at the buzzer. Like, if Kansas takes a, another loss or yeah. two and Wisconsin takes another one, like Villanova could get in there. I think we're looking at Kentucky, Virginia, Gonzaga, and then the, the and then Villanova, Wisconsin. I, you know, I would say, as of today, guys, I would say that it's going to be Kentucky, Virginia, Gonzaga, and I'll say Nova because it got, a, it got that big win over Butler last weekend. Um I, I feel like, you know, we'll see what's up with Okafor and his boot and his foot, how long he's going to be out, even if it's going to be a game or not. But I feel like Duke's still going to take on a loss. I think Nova's going to win that league tournament, uh, and they're going to have enough there that they'll beat it out. But we've at least got a lot of interchangeable parts here between, you know, mm-hmm. Duke, does Arizona run the table? If it does, they're going to be in the conversation. They're not going to win out, I don't think. Um, so at least we have like seven teams vying for it, and that's – and that's pretty interesting. I think yeah. I think Duke and Virginia are going to sort each other out one way or another. Like they'll 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 get that. Like one of them is going to win the ACC regular season. And if anybody tweets me and says there is no ACC regular season title, I'm going to punch you in your face. Do 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 people hit you with that all the time? No. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap! All I ever hear. If you ever meant tweet this later on today, just like uh, like like uh, like Virginia needs you know X more wins to to clinch an ACC regular season title. You'll have 50 people tell you there is no ACC regular season title. You're going Colin Kaepernick on these fools, aren't you? Is that like an actual thing? I think it is actually a thing because if you go like, like I, I was I was looking at some coach's resume the other day and it didn't list maybe it was Dean Smith, um, and it didn't list ACC regular season titles. I think they actually do not recognize ACC regular season titles, but I don't care. I recognize because yeah. because yeah. because I'm I, because everybody else does. You know, it's a little bit like the NCAA tournament for a while didn't call. Uh, the first round, the first round. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to call it the round of 64. I'm not going to call it the second round. It, yeah. Just because you're stupid doesn't mean I have to play along with it. And so, uh, but it, here, like, so to bottom, one of them is going to win the regular season title, whether which it's going to be which is going to be Virginia, which is going to be Virginia. Yeah. And then like, I, I just wonder if Virginia wins the regular season thing, and then they get bounced early in the ACC tournament, and Duke wins the ACC tournament. And, and like Duke closes strong in the regular season, does that put Duke on the one? I don't think both of them are going to get ones. That's my well, you, yeah, but I mean, I'm not. Have we flipped here? Because I'm I'm where you were like a week and a half ago. I just don't see now how Virginia can't get a no, one. No, I'm not. No, I'm not flipping. I still think Virginia's going to get a one. Here's my yeah. thing. I don't think Virginia and Duke are both going to get ones. Yeah, and I. I, mean, I think one. I think one of them will, will fall off one way or another, and, and and they might have something to do with each other. So, it might, but I, I think it's going to be Virginia. I think Duke is going to fall is going to fall off that one seed line. So, if I were guessing right now, Selection Sunday, I'd go uh, Kentucky, Virginia, Gonzaga, and then I think Wisconsin would be the fourth, and then the twos would be you know some combination Villanova, uh, Duke. Um, I still think Utah can get there. You know, they became the first team to win at Oregon State last sure. night. Uh, they've got Arizona and Salt Lake City. Like I think Utah could be a two. Yeah, uh, it's no, it's it's super interesting, man. I mean, we're 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 now into it here. I mean, no, we're got, into it. Like we're we yeah. gonna have reasonable conversations about how this stuff's gonna play out. Oh, yeah. so I talked about this with Norlander yesterday on my radio show, Sam. I want to get your thoughts on it. When did everybody decide to switch from Okafor to Kaminsky for Player of the Year? Where was I at? Did, was I like was it was was it like my birthday weekend and I was distracted? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I've noticed that too. I don't know when that happened. I feel like 
I feel like it might have been Doster who started that. No, it was, trust me, it was Goodman. It was Goodman. Goodman. Yeah, now let's make sure we're talking about the same Jeff Goodman. It's, it's the same Jeff Goodman that also said Andrew Wiggins would not be the number one pick in the draft, right? Um, I, I think so, yeah. Same Jeff Goodman who said he'd take Aaron Kraft over Andrew Wiggins? That one I know he said. Okay, all right. So <laughs> we're ta- Okay, we're all talking about the same guy. Okay, good. Um, I've just never seen anything like it. Uh, like in December, early January, everybody was like, Okafor, player of the year, clear cut. Isn't he awesome? He's still averaging more points, and I, I'm not saying these are the end-all, be-all things, but, like, these are true things. And Wisconsin he, fans are going to be coming after you after this. I, listen, Wisconsin fans, if they're coming after me on this, then they have short memories. Nobody loves Wisconsin more than I love Wisconsin. I'm the one that created the hashtag winning is fun. I'm, on, I'm the Bo Ryan. I'm, like, the leader of the Bo Ryan fan club. Uh, even before he went to a Final Four, I said you were stupid if you held that against him. If Wisconsin fans can't cut me some slack on this one, then they're just being bananas. S- secondly, I love Frank Kaminsky so much, and that's well stated. Frank, no- Frank, if you're listening to this, you know that. You know how much I love you. Mm-hmm. But Okafor is averaging more points, more rebounds, shooting a higher percentage from the field, doing it for a team that is uh, ranked higher, and doing it for a team that won a head-to-head matchup, and he was awesome in that head-to-head matchup. Again, I'm not saying any of these things, on the road, I'm not saying any of these things are the determining factors, but all of those things are true, and this is my only point. When all of those things are true, it ain't the type of stuff that makes people switch in usually in January and February, and yet here we are. I'm just, I'm not, let me make sure I'm being very clear here. If you want to say Frank Kaminsky should be the National Player of the Year, that is fine with me. Like, you can make a compelling case for Frank, a easy case for Frank. Mm-hmm. My only question is this. What happened to make everybody switch from Jalil to Frank? Because if you look at the numbers, they ain't much different than they were six weeks ago. I, I have a theory on this, and I think it's that there's been a backlash to Okafor in the NBA as far as, like, what his NBA draft stock looks like. I dare because... somebody to pass on him. Oh, so do I. I think it's pretty ridiculous. Don't pick like, him one and see how much you regret it three years from now. Yeah. Like, sure. th- I think that, honestly, I follow more NBA people that are, like, hashtag Team Towns than are oh, on that, Okafor. That's like, the it, classic. It's, on, yeah, it's the same people who last year were, ta- were Team Julius Randle over Wiggins. Like, sometimes yeah, guys just get bored. Because here's what happens, I think. You, everybody decides it's Okafor, really, like two years ago. Like the number one pick in the 2016 draft is, I mean, 2015 draft is going to be Jalil Okafor. And then you say it, and then you say it, and you go on a radio show and you say it, and you go on a podcast and somebody asks you who should go number one and you say it, and then you watch the games and it's clear that what you've been saying for two years is right, and you just get bored with it. So you start trying to talk yourself into something else, and then you end up saying, I don't know, maybe it should be D'Angelo Russell. I love D'Angelo Russell. Take him one. Take Towns one. You'll regret it. The pick... Don't overthink it. The same way Andrew Wiggins should have always been the number one pick in the 2014 NBA draft, Jalil Okafor should always be the 2015. And, it, and at least Wiggins struggled a little bit early last year where you could kind of move off of him if you wanted to. I thought it was stupid, but you could do it if you wanted to. Yeah. Jalil's been awesome from November to now. Bum ankle, awesome. Dude, yeah. the stuff he was doing on the offensive end the other night against pro bigs, get out of here. While he was hurt? While he was hurt, dude, there's 25-year-old uh, guys with with $50 million contracts in the NBA right now who don't have Jalil's post moves right now. I'm not saying he's all that uh, uh, ready to be significant on the defensive end. He's got issues, undeniably. He's also a kid. But on the offensive end, my God, he's got he's all-star level stuff, yep. strictly catching the ball in the post right now. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that um, might be a slight overstatement. He's not an all-star but, player but, right but now. You but, get like, my yeah, point. I know what you mean as far as his sheer post play right now. I think it's that level, yeah. No, he's just – I'm just curious. I was just like – I'm a little bad. I've never seen anything like it. And the whole like, well, Frank's so good on defense. Frank is good on defense. But like we're not talking about Anthony Davis here. And secondly – No, like Frank's fine on defense. Like he's he is an average to above average – defensive big man in the N- or NCAA. Right. And so like, like it was, he's not like this. He's not this plus defensive player who is locking down the paint. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, Billy I, Kelly I Stein or even right. does for now, Kentucky. That's my thing. Like I, I, I love, I'm going to say this every three minutes until we're through talking about it to make sure if anybody gets, you know, skips around, they are going to hear that. I love Frank Kaminsky. And if you want to make him the player of the year, that's fine with me. I'm not going to call you stupid. Like if, like if you don't rank Maryland in your top 25 and I got to call you out for that, this ain't like that. If you go with Frank, that's fine. I've just never seen uh, such an abrupt switch from one player to the other when nothing statistically actually called for that switch. And so, um, yeah, like, and the other thing is, like, when you start talking about, well, you know, it's going to come down to who's better defensively, like, you're just reaching at that point, aren't you? I mean, Doug McDermott won the won the player of the year last year. Like, we didn't care about defense nine months ago. <laughs> Why do we care about it now? Like, when, when did... We cared about defense with Anthony Davis, but he was otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when when we're coming off a year where James Harden was first team All NBA and Doug McDermott was the National Player of the Year in college, like you can't talk to me about defense. Uh, like, I, hey, I, I think that defense matters more than I guess the general population sure. does. But even if I don't understand why people think Okafor is like the worst defender yeah, in because, America, man, he is. Uh, listen, people, I th- like. <laughs> Go ahead, he's, I'm not, he's not brutal, okay? He's not one of the top 20 defenders in college. I understand that, but he's not deficient, okay? I know he's got a lot of work to do and a lot and a long way to go, and he'll never be as good on defense as he is on offense. Yeah. But is he is not what I would call a liability for Duke out there. Okay? No. no. no, no, that, no the bigger problem teams, is yeah. that their perimeter defenders can't stop any sort of penetration, so he looks like a train wreck in the pick and roll. That's a great point. He's just like moving over, and they're not doing anything to cut off. They're not doing anything to even like slide over and stop anything. And I understand the fact that people think that, like, oh, he doesn't rotate well. He's 19 freaking years old. Like, that. big men in college don't move well at 19 NBA players at 20 years old don't move well rotationally in the NBA like it's just so so silly and people were worried about him protecting the rim when he has a seven foot five wingspan and the fact that he has to do so much for this Duke team that my guess is honestly Mike Krzyzewski tells him hey don't go out and pick up 14 fouls in a game like Carl Towns is averaging six fouls a game right now. Okafor is averaging three. My guess on that is because Okafor is just like not able to defend as many shots as Towns is period. It's not that he's a deficient rim protector. It's that Duke's system, the way that they need him, it doesn't allow him to contest as many shots as it does Kentucky's guys. No. And and that's the thing. Like I remember when Kevin Durant was at Texas and be like, the people were like, man, Kevin Durant doesn't guard anybody, but by instruction, they didn't want him wasting energy on the defensive end because he was going to have to do everything on the offensive end. And it's not, I'm not comparing, it's not apples to apples. But my point is, with Okafor, I think it's something people started saying, honestly, when they went through that little stretch where they lost before the Louisville game. And so people then started, what's wrong with Duke? Oh, Okafor can't guard the pick and roll. And so, like, 
this, then it just becomes an easy thing to say. And again, he's mm-hmm. not great, but he ain't nearly as bad as everybody seems to be making it out. To yeah, be. no, seriously. Like, I'm not saying this guy's going to be an all NBA defender. I'm not no. saying he might even, he might not even be an average NBA defender. I think he probably will be an average NBA defender, but there's a chance he ends up being like a poor defender on the next level. The offense is just so good that you can't pass on that for the uncertainty of a Towns or the also slightly defensively deficient D'Angelo Russell. Right. Like, no, I just the whole thing, like we started talking about in a debate about Jalil Okafor and Frank Kaminsky, we started talking about defense. It's like, what do we like? These are two of the best offensive six eleven seven footers like in, yeah. in that we've seen in recent years. We're gonna we're really gonna sit around and focus on what they can't. What I, I just, the whole thing is just bananas to me. I, I I asked Norlander yesterday, like, what did I? Where when did this happen? Like, where where did this conversation start? And yeah. uh, he 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 finds it uh, just as dumb as I find this. I'm glad to know you're you're on board. And, and by the way. Like you, like both of you guys said, I think Kaminsky absolutely has a legitimate, legitimate argument. Like there's, oh no I, yeah, I agree. He I can mean, absolutely like it wouldn't if he won the award. I would not be disappointed by any means. Like I wouldn't no, think twice at all. He is either. a totally deserving candidate. I, my I whole just thing, would yeah, fault to Okafor, hundred percent. My whole thing, like if you loved Frank from the beginning, love him from the beginning. I'm just wondering where, where did this? It seems like there is a switch, like a like yeah. if you'd have pulled people, and maybe I'm just living in this like small Twitter world. But if you'd have pulled people, um. On January one, they just said Okafor is running away with it. Oh, Okafor, clearly, and mm-hmm. and you know now it's February twentieth, and it's all like, oh, it's got to be Kaminsky. Are you crazy? And I'm like, what has happened? Not like Okafor hasn't done anything to hurt himself. Like they've only he's gotten better. They've gotten better. Like where? Why would why? What made you switch? That would be my only question. What made you switch from one to the other? Because yeah. nothing. The type of stuff that typically makes people switch. That stuff hasn't happened. That's my only point. All right, uh, real quickly, we are running long because I, I'm just I'm picking uh, uh, things that I've been like uh, stewing over and then just ranting about them. That's what this podcast has turned into. I do want to ask you, uh, Sam, you, you you did a project on, on Cliff Alexander, who is the other, if we can tie this together here. Watch you this. just want me to rant. This watch this. Podcast. Watch this. Okay. I'm going to tie this together. So Jello, Jello Okafor was uh, among the, the, the best uh, uh, NBA uh, big prospects entering this year. Another one Sam is Cliff Alexander, who has struggled a bit at Kansas with both production and playing time. I'm curious, uh, you've really been looking at um, at his situation in in Lawrence, and I think uh, you, you're writing about this for later today. Yeah. Um, but people, uh, I think, uh, particularly Kansas fans, will be interested in this. Um, what is the deal with Cliff Alexander? Why isn't he playing more? And should he be playing more? So Bill Self always points to the like defensive reasons he says he has lacks like a motor when he's on defense um you know lacks he keeps saying lacks a motor I don't, I don't really understand it the way that cliff alexander attacks the boards uh i think it's more instinctual than anything i think like he's just kind of slow on rotations right now it's it's not like a motor thing to me um <laughs> here's the thing about kansas in big 12 play right now they're four and a half points better defensively with cliff alexander on the floor than they are when he's off the floor. I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers look like for Jamari Trailer. I don't know what they look like for Landon Lucas. But I can tell you that this team is better when Cliff Alexander is on the floor defensively. So whenever you put that into conjunction with his offense, which is, you know, clearly really, really, really good. Like he is a 
he's able to attack off of offensive rebounds. He's able to, you know, kind of, he's not able to like blow by necessarily, but he gets past guys with his like athleticism. He's really, really like strong. He's pretty quick for a guy in the post in college. Um, so they're like nine points better when he's on the floor on offense, four and a half points better when he's on the floor on defense. Um, he has like a 25 PER. Um, it's so beyond dumbfounding to me that Kansas thinks that having Jamari trailer who has a similar defensive rebounding rate to Oklahoma state's Phil Forte <laughs> is a good idea. Yeah. Like, I, Phil I, Forte is like a five foot 11 point guard shooter that, you know, I love Phil Forte as a player. Rebounding is not one of his strong suits. And, you know, Landon Lucas, I think there's a better argument for Landon Lucas that he should be playing. He's a he's actually a really good defender, but he's a black hole on offense. Whenever you have Alexander, Alexander is their best rim protector. He's their best rebounder. And the way the way the college game is going, you need to be able to end possessions on the defensive end. We're seeing that with uh, teams like Baylor that are killing teams on the offensive glass. And we saw it on Monday whenever Kansas played with West Virginia and they gave up 22 freaking offensive rebounds and played Cliff Alexander six minutes of that game. It is beyond silly. That- so are you, I mean, you're basically saying, though, like, you know. You, you're saying Bill Self can't coach. I'm pulling a GP here. No, I'm, I know you're not yeah, saying yeah, but you know. No, no, but listen, like, in, in all seriousness, if I, I will, I will read really you the lead to this around, post that I am writing. Like, no, like, but if Self doesn't start to come around here and and, and really use Cliff, like, Kansas is, is hurting its chances at seriously going deep into the tournament. Yeah, no, they, they absolutely are. It's, we're to the point where we know what Jamari Trailer and Landon Lucas are. They're fine backup collegiate big men right now like that that's not a bad thing at all but cliff alexander is one of the better per minute players in all of college basketball right now like you gotta play him there there's not really a reason i've crunched the numbers i've i mean i i've watched him play and i understand the fact that he's not a great defender but he does things on defense that that team needs in that he ends possessions and he protects the rim if you can do those two things on defense you can build around that if you're bill self bill self's a smart enough guy to do that and that's that's the thing you ought to do here. Like, this isn't hard. This isn't hard. I get annoyed with this conversation. I will make sure that Bill Self knows you You completely disapprove of the way he's handling his uh, soon-to-be 11-time Big 12 champions. I think that I legitimately spent, like, 100 words at the top of this post saying how awesome Bill Self is. I know, is. right? You have to. I was just like, seriously, Bill Self is incredible. He's going to win, like, 1,000 games in his career. I did that There's... last year with Shashevsky, uh, like, when they benched uh, Jabari at the end of the Notre Dame game. And I'm like... Mike Krzyzewski is awesome, and uh, it seems silly to even question him, but my God, when you're having trouble scoring and you've got Jabari Parker and you're uh, playing a league game, you should probably have him on, I don't know, since he's the best offensive player in college basketball, maybe you should have him on the court when you're trying to score to win a game. Uh, yeah, but like whenever you go after some guy who's, not go after, but just like publicly question somebody who is so uh, accomplished, uh, you do feel like um, you need to qualify it a little bit. Like, hey, I know you're awesome, and you've been awesome, and you're going to keep being awesome, but maybe you should look at these numbers on Cliff Alexander because he doesn't appear to be what you think he is. So I get that. I look forward to reading it later on. Sam, before we go, you want to make another prediction that, that'll miss yeah, this weekend? Yeah, he's got it. I was about to say, we are not getting off this podcast without him making oh. it. Yeah. I mean, we I got can do that. Let's... 
Let's we see what we got on the weekend tap. We got West Virginia at Oklahoma State. We've got Texas um, uh, hosting Iowa State. How about this? Texas, it is February 21st tomorrow. If Texas can beat Iowa State, I don't know if they can. But if they can, it'll just be their second top 50 win. Holy crap. Like, isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is. That is actually- they beat nobody all year long. No, they're they're in a, a deeper spot than you might think. Uh, overall, they they kind of got to win that game. They're right now they're a first four team according to Palm. So I mean, twelve seed Dayton team right now. If they lose that game, they won't be in a lot of projected brackets on Monday. So anyway, but yeah, which we got to we got to get them to take a game. You got Butler, Xavier, Florida, LSU. I mean, those oh. are kind of the four best, I think. Yeah, this is kind of a weak slate. It is. Kinda... They're not great games. Yeah. All right, pick one. Um, pick one, Sam. Jesus, you're um, picking Jesus. I, I, I that'd be a better bet than like the ones I've been making recently. You would like to bet on Jesus? Yeah, what the hell? Right, um, let's go with Yo, let's Florida, go. Florida, Florida, Iowa State Florida. does beat Texas. Iowa State goes on the road. Whatever the number is going to be, what is the number going to be there? Do we know? Um, I guess it's going to be like Texas minus four, two. minus three, somewhere in that area. Okay, Kim Palm has it. We'll just use this as a line. Kim Palm has it as Texas minus three. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll take I'll take Iowa. Iowa State in the points. That's the official pick, so you know what to do now. You are laying He's Texas late. minus All three. Your money on laying the points. Because Buckeye he has Sam's weekend pick special. I love it. He has literally never oh, hit it's, one of these. It's not just a weekend thing. Like I for the last two weeks, I have been incredibly bad at picking games and viewers guide. Like it, it's been awful. I picked, I picked, who did I pick last night? I picked Maryland minus eight against Nebraska. And I think that Nebraska won by, or Nebraska lost by four. Drunk bets. Hey, JP does last call for drunk bets. You should do last drunk for call bets. First, first call for sober bets. All right, the official pick from San Vicini for tomorrow, that would be uh, Iowa State, a plus the three at Texas. Still looking for his first podcast uh, pick against the spread to hit of the season. All right, let's get out of here. You can subscribe. As you know, I'm certain, to the Island College Basketball Podcast over on iTunes. Do that. Quickest way to make sure you get the uh, latest episode. And we'll all talk to you again on Monday. Take care.